Would you stand as we read God's word together? From Acts chapter 3. The first great miracle of the church after the descent of the Spirit. The whole of this chapter. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms, and Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong and leaping up. He stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's, and when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety, we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant, Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate, when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murder to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses, and his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all." And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers, but what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you, and it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the people who have spoken, sorry, all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of, of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. 
This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Oh, gracious triune, almighty God, will you draw near to us? Having heard the word read, may we now hear it by the Spirit explained, write it upon our hearts, instruct us that we may be truly changed, transformed, reformed into the image and likeness of our Savior. May we know and rejoice and walk with you, our God. Hear us. Come to us and help us, we pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Would you please be seated? And As you're seated, I want to invite you to think about a question as we come to consider God's word from Acts chapter 3. What is it that keeps you from the blessing of God? What keeps you from enjoying the blessing of God? And we might have a lot of different answers that would come to mind this morning. You might be thinking about circumstances that are difficult, people in your life that are difficult. You might be thinking of job situations, economic realities. Maybe you're thinking a little bit more spiritually. I hope that you are. What keeps you from the blessing of God? Maybe you're thinking about your own sin and the struggle that you have to overcome it to know and believe in the God of the Bible, the God of grace. In a way that is what the Acts of the Apostles are doing here for you, helping you to see how Jesus takes away everything that keeps you from enjoying the blessing of God in this great first wonderful miracle of the apostles Peter and John. There are two parts to the text. You'll notice verses 1 through 11, there's a description of a great miracle. We'll look at that first. After that, there is a message, an extended sermon. So you get two sermons today. You'll hear Peter's sermon as I preach it. There's an act, in other words, of Christ, and then there is the explanation. This is a pattern you see throughout the Acts of the Apostles. This is something you see in the ministry of Jesus. This is the way the prophets speak. This is nothing new. So we'll start with the act of God himself, and that's the miracle, verses 1 through 11, where Jesus, let's be clear about this, Jesus heals a disabled man. We'll just consider this briefly, but I want you to think about this, how shocking this is. We start in verse 1. Peter and John are going up to the temple, and they encounter this man who can't enter the temple to go and worship God. And there he is. He can't do much apart from the charity of others. He's literally been physically brought by somebody else to this place. Peter looks him in the eyes, and he says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he does. He actually does. What is so astonishing about this? The reality and the power of this miracle is, verse 2 tells us he was lame from birth. Chapter 4, verse 22 tells us he was more than 40 years of age. He has been like this his entire life. He is obviously well-known. Peter even references that. He's been carried daily to the gate of the temple. Verse 2 again tells us he is continually being seen there at the gate. Verse 10 tells us the worshipers know him, they recognize him. Many of these people have been going up to the temple year after year, feasts, celebrations, worship, their whole life entering into the temple every day. Here's this man. 
And even the Sanhedrin, the religious authorities say in chapter 4, they're confronting Peter here. You start to get into that persecution you're talking about, Pastor. They're, they say a notable sign has been done, verse 16, and we cannot deny it. And boy, would they like to, but they can't. Here in this moment is this awesome reality. What would be headline news for us? Here's a guy who's been lame, unable to walk for 40 years, and suddenly he is walking and leaping and praising God. You and I have never heard of such a thing in our lifetime. There might be some really good doctors in Oshkosh, but I am confident none of them have ever done this. It's no wonder that the crowds are so amazed and they're flocking, they're pressing in, they're packing around Peter and John, looking on. Here was this guy just looking for a few, a few coins of charity. And what does he get from Peter and John? He gets, through Jesus Christ, really a new life. And he can suddenly walk. And he can enter the temple. He believes in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is totally transformed. And that's the real miracle, isn't it? Okay, to be lame and then to be able to walk, that's amazing. But this man has his whole life been on the outside with God. He has been unable to enjoy the blessing of fellowship with and the worship of the God who made him. Always on the outside and suddenly everything that was in the way is totally removed. Every obstacle gone and he can enter into the presence of God like everyone else healed. Physically, a whole man, a strong man, restored. Spiritually, he's in God's presence, worshiping God, praising God. That, if you want to know what the picture of health is, this is it. If you want to know what the new creation looks like, this is it. Here is a man made new. Don't you long to see that? Don't you long to be that and to experience that fully? Now, here we need to get quickly into the sermon, and I want you to notice how the text moves. In the words of Yogi Berra, some will know that name. It's like deja vu all over again. Because this is classic Jesus, isn't it? This is a page straight out of the handbook of our Messiah. Who else does this? Makes blind people see, raises up the lame. Nobody else does this. Who could heal such a miserable, guilty man, trapped under the power of his sin, the bondage of his guilt, feeling it in his own body? What other name has that power but Jesus? So when we start Acts, and I'm sure that pastors pointed this out, Acts chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, tell us that Luke in his writing is saying, I told you what Jesus did, now let me tell you what he is continuing to do. We get to this miracle, what's the point here? You and I are meant to have this inescapable revelation, this sudden kind of epiphany. Jesus must still be alive. Who else does this? but a living, resurrected Christ. You know, at this moment, Peter and John could have started the most awesome ministry. We might have apostolic and Pentecostal churches, some of whom we can fellowship with and enjoy as brothers and sisters, and they believe in healings, which this miracle here is not intended to make you think we should have these, these gifts continuing in the church. But Peter and John could have started a church filled with healings and miraculous signs and wonders in that moment. They could have become worldwide celebrities. I mean, think how many this would add to Livingstone. I mean, that would be pretty impressive. But what do they do? And this is a further sign that Jesus is actually alive. Verse 12 tells us they don't take the credit. 
They take none of the credit and they say, more or less, why are you so amazed looking at us? Do you think this could possibly be through our power or through our piety? Peter's saying this. Think of who is saying this. Peter's the guy who tried to walk on water and failed. Peter's the guy who said, Lord, I'm so committed to you, I would never even consider denying you. I'll lay down my own life before that would ever happen. And what happens? He denies him three times in a single night. Powerless and not very pious. This is who Peter really is. This is nothing produced by Peter or any other ordinary man. Here, just appreciate what Peter and John are doing. They are behaving like what the Heidelberg Catechism calls true Christians. They share in the anointing of God's Christ, his Messiah, his anointed one, Jesus, not to confess their names, but to confess the name of Jesus. And so here we get to the sermon. This is what it's really all about. So here we have this great act of Jesus. It really is Jesus. What's the takeaway? What's the message? What are you supposed to go home and think about? Well, notice it here. God, in verse 26, raised his servant for what purpose? This is the whole of everything Peter's going to say. This is the interpretation of it all. God raised his servant Jesus to bless you. To remove all those obstacles that stand in the way of enjoying the blessing of God to really bring you in to his presence, his fellowship forever. God's servant. This is the way that Peter here describes him as well as God's Christ. And here he is reflecting on the words of prophets like Isaiah. Isaiah 52 verse 13 says, God speaking, Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. My servant, the one appointed for your salvation, will act with such wisdom, the holy and righteous one, the prince and author of life, all these titles that Peter uses in this text, this singular person out of all history, God becoming man in Christ himself, God coming to serve us. This is who has accomplished this miracle. And notice what Peter says in verses 12 through 16, the opening of this sermon. He says, what did you do to him? To God's one that he has brought near to serve you. You killed him. What do men, evil men, do in response to God's servant? They want to kill him. You know, we're living in a culture, and in particular days of our American calendar, when people are thinking, it's almost like there's a delight among many, about thinking about the most evil things you could possibly imagine. None of them evil as they are, even begin to compare to this, the greatest evil of them all, that God would send his servant to bless us and we would kill him. There is nothing more wicked or evil than this, that Jesus would be put to death at our hands. Consider what the crowds, these same crowds around Peter and John, witnessing this great miracle, what did they do and what are we, through our guilt, through our sin, participants in we have handed jesus over to an unworthy and unjust wicked judges we rejected him we 
demanded someone else, killed God's servant, the very author of life. And in that moment, just understand, here's this mighty miracle, but who is this Christ? In his death at the cross, is there anyone more apparently powerless? He, the author of life, with all strength and authority, comes, falls into the trap, seemingly. But it's actually through the power of his death that we live. Appreciate even what Peter says here. He's alluding to Barabbas, that rebel and murderer that the crowd said, we'll take Barabbas over Jesus. What do we want to do with Jesus? Crucify him. Give us this other man, this Barabbas, to represent us, a sort of antichrist. And Peter charges the crowds, and this is the continual charge against an unbelieving world. You killed God's holy and righteous one and accepted a murderer in your place. In other words, Peter sort of loads up the guilt. He puts us under the pressure of the law of God that we may begin to see that what we have done in our sin is great wickedness. What is it that keeps you and me from enjoying and entering in fully to the blessing and the delight of such a delightful, creating, living, blessed God, but our sin. You know, at this point in the sermon, if you were expecting thunderbolts, this is where they would come. And isn't that what you would expect, really? Think about it. Here's this man who has been raised up to be able to walk, and he's here in the temple. That's power, right? That's incredible power. You and I have never seen that. If this is the power of Jesus, then what will he do to us? And the thunderbolts don't come. Peter speaks of the power of Jesus because God's intention is not destruction, but blessing. God raised him from the dead. The power of the resurrection. This is the great news of such an evangelistic message that he's bringing here. Notice what it says in verse 13. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus. When Jesus describes himself, this is the way he speaks of God triune, his eternity, his power, his glory. He is the God of the living of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is how he responds when he's questioned about the resurrection. He is such a God who has power over death, over hell, over sin, over lameness, over everything that keeps people outside of the presence of God. God has come, the God of the Exodus, the God of liberation, to free his people from their slavery to death and sin through the resurrection of Jesus. This is the point. Christ has been glorified that we may be glorified by faith in him. So understand what Peter is saying here. Here's this one who has all power and authority, who has been lifted up to the highest place. God himself, the one that we killed, to what end does he exercise his power in the world? 
healing and restoration, calling sinners to repentance. Yes, at the last day, he will judge all who do not bow to his lordship. But notice what God has done in raising his son from the dead. He has given him power to heal and to forgive and to cast out guilt and to bring people in to the fellowship of God. Peter is saying, you ought by rights to be terrified of such a Jesus, but the glory of the servant of God is such that you can actually rejoice. Everything that stands in the way, everything in you, everything outside of you, God has given Jesus over to death and raised him up again that you wouldn't have to be on the outside any longer, but really enter into blessing. The fellowship and the knowledge of God. Well, in the latter part of this text, verses 17 through the end, Peter tells us how he received that blessing. Peter here references several times that Jesus is the response. He is the fulfillment of the prophecies of the Old Covenant. And of course, one of the great themes of the Old Testament prophets was actually repentance. We need to repent. We need to turn away from all that is separating us from truly walking with our God of grace. So Peter will say, and he'll say it in more than one way, we must repent. We must turn around, be transformed, go the other way, but not a bare repentance. There are so many people in our world, maybe your neighbors, and maybe you yourself, who hear this news. Here's Jesus, God's servant, given to bless you. That's why he's raised, not to destroy you, but to bring you in. Repent. And what do our hearts say? All right, well, I'll get rid of all those things. I'll just kind of die to this and that and the next thing, and I'll, I'll try to be a better person. I'll lead a better life. That is not the repentance of which Peter is speaking. The Reformation was a recovery of really those things that had been lost, things that had been obscured, things that had been brought in that ultimately did keep God's people out. If you were in a worship service back in 1500, you probably would have heard me speaking Latin. I don't speak Latin, so it probably wouldn't have been me. But you would have been hearing somebody speak Latin in front of you, and you wouldn't have known what they were saying. And by the way, the person speaking Latin probably didn't know either. Just imagine that. Here's this massive obstacle to coming into Christ. Not to mention all those falsehoods of doctrine that were overlaid over the top of the gospel, things you needed to do, ways to access God, praying to this person, that person, paying your alms, doing this and that, the next thing. All these things that became gateways outside of which you and I continually find ourselves further and further away. That must be lost. It was, by God's grace, recovered in many ways in the Reformation. We continue to need to be reformed. We are reformed when we hear Peter's words in the right way. Repent. Repent unto Christ. Repent from every other hope, all your comforts, all those things that delight you, all that self-righteousness, all those good works, all those gateways. Repent of all the gateways and come through the way, through Jesus. Jesus is coming to restore. This is the whole essence of why we can come, why we find Jesus, the source of our hope and blessing, 
he removes the obstacles. So this is why we repent, verses 17 and 18. Peter says, it was through your ignorance that you killed the prince of life. And there's no excuse for that, true. But God's great power at work for your blessing is such that your ignorance and sin, your history, and what other people say about you, and even what you think about yourself, are no obstacle God worked through the ignorance of the people at that time to bring in his Christ to save us. Repent, verses 19 through 21, because Christ is going to come and restore all these things. Repent so that you might really understand and know that Jesus doesn't just heal lame legs. He produces a total revolution of your life. This is the nature. This is what Peter is really saying about repentance. Repent and turn. Be changed. Be renewed. Have a revolution in your life. Be raised, not by something you do or some new philosophy or idea, but by leaning exclusively upon Jesus Christ. Notice how Peter even says that as he's describing what has happened. Do you really think it's by our power or our piety? Well, brothers and sisters, it's not going to be by your power and piety either. You're not going to come in through the gate of the temple into the presence of God at last to enjoy his glory forever by your power or piety. It can only be by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So this is the promise of repentance. Repent unto him. And through his blood, your sins will be blotted out. And with that revolution of your heart and your conscience and your affections comes this brand new present and history. There will be times of refreshing, Peter says. Christ, God, the one he has appointed, will come. He will restore all things. So turn away not just from sin, turn away from self-righteousness and self-empowerment because God, through this one alone, is determined to bless you and through no other. How then do we accomplish that repentance? Peter quotes again from the, from the prophets here. He quotes from Moses, and he does it twice, actually. Listen to the warning of Deuteronomy 18, 15, which Peter quotes, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. And everyone who does not listen, it goes on to say, will be cursed, as Peter notes. There is blessing that God is holding out to you today. Yes. No matter who you are, no matter where you've been, he holds out his blessing to you through Christ. So listen to him. Verses 25 and 26, notice how then Peter quotes from God's promises to Abraham in Genesis 12. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Peter's point is this. The great obstacle to your enjoying the blessing of God and mine is not our physical situation. Isn't how our budget is working out for the year. That's not it. The great obstacle is our sin, our selfishness, our self-interest, our self-reliance. And this is what God has always promised that he would give through his son, who is the way, a righteousness, a health, a help that will bring us into his blessing. There is no other way. 
So listen, isn't that what, do you remember there on the Mount of Transfiguration? Isn't that what the disciples heard, Peter and James and John? Interesting that two of them are here, isn't it? And what do they hear as they look at this glorious scene, Jesus and two of the prophets, one of whom Peter is actually quoting from. Here they are, and Peter says, it's good for us to be here. And then the cloud comes, this cloud of glory, overshadowing everything. And when it's all done, they only see Jesus as the voice says, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. What's the point of this miracle? What's the point of the sermon? Listen to Jesus. There is no other way to the blessing of God. What do we listen to? How many times in the week do you and I not go into YouTube trying to figure out how to do this or that, or read somebody's opinion, or we have our podcast, we have our books, and we have, our, we have the people that we trust? Who do we listen to? Who do we let our kids, kids listen to? Who do you want to listen to, kids? There is one voice in all the world that has the power to bless you. You're not going to find it on YouTube. The voice of Jesus Christ speaking in the scriptures. If you would know such healing, such blessing, the power of the age to come, if you would know forgiveness and life and salvation and everything that Peter promises to us who killed the one who came to bless, then we must listen to Jesus Christ. And we must listen to this pivotal miracle because he is everything and more that our hearts long for. I just want to leave you with this. This is so beautiful from Isaiah 35, about the servant of God. Here we have in the Old Testament this declaration. Say to those who have an anxious heart. Anybody here this morning? Anxious hearts? Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong. Fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. And we expect that to be judgment. And he says, he will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be open, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer. Do you hear it? Your God has come to you. Your God has come to save you, to bless you, to bring you into everlasting joy. The sign of that is this lame man. And the truth of that is the words of Jesus. So listen. Let's pray together. Oh, gracious God, we have such hard hearts by nature, but we pray that you would open our eyes, open our understanding, give us that sight, that sense, even that taste of the worthiness, the power, the glory of Jesus to bless and to help us who are so very needy and guilty and miserable by nature. We praise you that Christ has come into the world not to destroy, not to bring vengeance upon us, but to take it in himself that he might come and save us. We glorify you for Christ. And we ask for open ears, open hearts to hear and believe him. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen.